Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Mike the Gardener podcast, sponsored by those lovely people at Natural Grower, who supply plant-based products for both organic and chemical-free gardening and your houseplants. Well, today I have come along to the beautiful Arundel Castle Gardens in West Sussex, and I'm going to be chatting to their head gardener, Martin Duncan. And indeed, in this series, I'm going to be chatting to a number of head gardeners to find out exactly what the job is, what they do, what qualifications you need to become a gardener, a head gardener. And today, when I'm chatting to Martin, we touch on how to attract youngsters. How do we get the younger generation into gardening? I started off by asking Martin what attracted him to gardening in the first place. Um, well, gardening, really. My mother, who's an extremely keen gardener, my father, who took a back seat but enjoyed it. Um, so in Africa, we always had uh, quite big gardens. Um, so we also, my parents started a thing called Zimgro, um, which we exported um, orchids oh, okay. over, over to Holland, um, mostly epidendrums. Lovely. And uh, so it was initially them and the Island Joneses who who started this project. In fact, um, Avon Bulbs, uh, Chris yeah. IJ is one of the sons, so I went to school with him. Oh, really? Yeah. And okay. um, anyway, so from there, that built up into quite a big thing. And my parents helped set up Zimgro, which helped um, people, well, ladies especially, who had come upon hard times in Africa. Mm. And so it was helping about 10 families survive. Wow. Um, and they actually ended up getting paid at least three times a national average salary. But, you know, I spent my whole childhood in the, these wonderful gardens and uh, we had gardeners and uh, yeah. many a day I would come back for lunch or something and I wouldn't eat anything. My parents were wondering why. It was because I'd had my lunch with the gardeners. <laughs> <laughs> How lovely. Eating what they call sudza and gravy. So, <laughs> Sudza's gravy? Sudza, yeah. Sudza's like a ground corn. Okay. And you normally sort of uh, use your hands, you roll it into a ball. Yeah. And dip it into the, the sauce, which would normally be things like kale, uh, mixed in with tomatoes, onions, and maybe a bit of gristly meat. And uh, <laughs> it's quite nice. I still yeah. cook it myself sometimes. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so from those heady days then, how did you forge your way into this gardening business? Well, I actually started going as a farm manager. So I worked at Imeri Game Park, mm-hmm. which is still going in, in Zimbabwe now. Yeah. Uh, and they have a rhino program, uh, but they still grow maize and tobacco and so really from there I I started that so I'd be out at sort of six o'clock in the morning and you'd really start early because you had all the tobacco seed beds to look after Mm. um cattle you had to go and dip all the cattle there's there's a wide range and the maize so you know you're talking of hundreds of acres I think the whole farm there with the game park is like 10,000 acres gosh um so I was a trainee assistant manager right and um I admired the Travises so much because they led from the front so if you were a trainee assistant manager there they would expect you to go and harvest the tobacco or harvest the maize Mm. you couldn't be sat watching the staff (laughs) doing it you You were hands-on very hands-on um 
So from there then, where, where did you go to study and what oh, courses did you study? Yeah, um, well, I, I went first of all to Greenmount, which yeah. was in Northern Ireland. That's right. Uh, yeah. And I studied commercial horticulture, which was uh, anything from mushroom production. Uh, we had raspberry production, um, a wide range, potatoes, uh, Bramley apple trees. And, and what was so great about that college was... Uh, you had to even do weekend duties. So very different to most colleges in England because what they'd say is, right, every fourth weekend you must come in and you will go and water the the glass houses, harvest the mushrooms. So it was like in a working environment, which Mm. I really respected because it actually made you uh, think about it and think actually... This is this is how you have to work. And at that time, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do when you'd finished your studying? Uh, well, it was funny, funny enough, at that time, I was actually thinking of going back into probably farming in a, in a big way, uh, which I, I sort of did because I went back to Africa um, and a company called Windmill, which uh, dealt with uh, crop chemicals, fertilisers, um, you know, all of that in, on the big scale farming mm. employed me as their sort of horticulturalist agronomist for an area where they're doing tea, coffee, uh, burley, tobacco, passion fruit in a big way. It had just taken off. Um, passiflora, obviously making juices. And um, wow. and so I would go to farmers and it was, it was a fascinating job. You felt like um, James Herriot, but you're in the <laughs> plant world, you know. I yeah. mean, what a dream job. I, I have to say I loved it. And I'd go out and visit farmers, take soil samples, leaf analysis, and then we could adjust the crops because there's so many things in horticulture. Like it was so interesting some of them using big sprayers, they hadn't checked their nozzles on their sprayers. Mm. Um, so they were using twice, well, not twice, but, you know, much More too than... much chemical than they needed, which was wasting money. Yeah. Um, and then again, there were things like um, if your high pH of your water could actually lock up some some nutrients. Yeah. Uh, so it was really fascinating. So I learned, uh, you know, soils, I cannot emphasize it, Big, small scale, whatever, check your soils. Well, that's really strange you should say that because I've just done a chat with Anton Rosenfeld at Garden Organic uh-huh. about soils and the importance. Oh. A pound on the whole, a penny on the plant. It's just so important to make sure everything is as In good as it can be. Every country, worldwide. <laughs> yeah. And talking about every country, yeah. you're quite well travelled as well. So you started off in Zimbabwe. Yeah. Uh, where else have you been with your horticultural well, travels? Um, I then I then actually went and trained at the Welsh College of Horticulture. Uh, I didn't learn Welsh, but anyway. <laughs> um, it, it was uh, wonderful because totally different horticulture. Uh, so I went in and uh, there was very much emphasis on surveying landscape design, construction, drawings. Um, so you still did your, your plant IDs and, and uh, also um, your soils. Mm. And actually, there's a teacher there. I wish I could remember his name just like that. But he was really good on soils. Oh, really? And so kudos to him because it's helped me. Um, and then from there, I went to London where I was there in private gardens for about, ooh, eight years Mm -hmm. um and uh funnily enough 
you have a agents in horticulture and um anyway i think it was a english country gardeners or something and uh, they kept phoning me about jobs and i i i said no no i'm happy here just leave me alone <laughs> and then about two years later this phone call came in we think we've got a perfect position for you and i said well they said no no please just hear us out hear us out yeah and so yeah i ended up going to jordan on interviews and uh and it was really funny because I was on the plane and people were saying, um, so you're going, are you on holiday over there? You know, the people sat next to me. And yeah, I yeah. said, well, actually, I, I'm just like an agriculturalist. I had a, hadn't a clue who I was going to be interviewed by. And um, anyway, I ended up being interviewed at one of the palaces and ended up, uh, and I believe one of the reasons I ended up with that position was I did some research. So when this gentleman was driving me around, showing me places, mm. I checked out what plants grew in that area. In the area, yeah, and also what the local nurseries had. So I was well armed. Um, so, so tell us who you were working for. Oh, it was for late King Hussein, who is a magical man, um, and Queen Noor, and um, both. Both, I absolutely. You know, the family was fantastic. Mm. Um, and, uh, I mean, King Hussein was, was such a character. Uh, I had lots of people, my staff, picking all the stones out of an area to do some grass areas, uh, seed grass. Um, and uh, anyway, he jumped out of his window one day and um, went down with, the, with all the labourers and gardeners and started doing it. And he said, why on earth are we doing this? And they said... <laughs> They said, oh, we don't know. You better ask Mr. Martin because you're known as your first name there. Right, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, anyway, so I explained to him. <laughs> so, so why were they doing it? <laughs> well, obviously, uh, sowing grass, you, you don't, you don't, you want a, a really fine, you know, Tilth. good prep, yeah, preparation. Yeah. And uh, so that's what we, <laughs> that's what we, yeah. Well, that's uh, an amazing opportunity. But, and you were later promoted to the landscape designer there, weren't you? Yes, I was. So so although I'd worked uh, with an American architect only remote, remotely, um, I trained the staff who were fantastic because, you know, they, they weren't necessarily used to gardening, gardening. They're more used to probably agriculture, mm. which was uh, production, which makes sense, production of olive oil, olives and, yeah, you yeah. know, and um, I trained up some super gardeners. And honestly, the Jordanian people are just the friendliest, you know, and uh, I remember the kitchen gardener I had, who was, he was fantastic chap Zaid and we we went um he invited us to his house mm. you know and they weren't necessarily paid an awful lot and he literally put on such a a spread for us I thought god I felt so Incredible. guilty but, yeah. but no lovely people and really really nice and so not only were you out there with King Hussein and Queen Noor in Jordan mm -hmm. you were in Bermuda as well you traveled to Bermuda yes I did I um well um on returning over here, uh, we had we had had a son over in in Jordan, mm. um, and it's quite funny because our son's name is Alistair. And if you have a son in in Jordan or the Arab part of the world, they they call you Abu Ali, so oh. the father of Alistair. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So it's quite quite <laughs> interesting. But anyway, yeah. So after being the landscape designer, I we'd had our son, and I thought 
his grandparents would love to. I, I wouldn't have left otherwise, but I thought they, they never saw their first grandchild. Mm. And so after a, a year, we yeah we came over and I was offered a job at um, Audley End. And so um, I became the head gardener at Audley End, which was great. Yeah. Uh, more, I call it the historic gardening side of my career. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was quite fascinating. You know, I met lots of different people and you have different concepts. So with English heritage, it, it, you'd meet up as a, all the head gardeners and you'd discuss different uh, things, what were happening. Mm. So it was really nice on, on that basis and they did actually say to me would I go and do a degree in garden history mm. because I was uh, lecturing occasionally at Cambridge University okay. just on on gardening um, which again that was very funny because I learned so much about um, capability brown because I was I thought gosh this is the first lecture I'm ever doing just about and I'm, I'm yeah. having to do it to the uh, <laughs> in Cambridge University to to <laughs> to all the students wanting to learn about garden history. Yeah. I'd yeah. only been at Audley End three months. <laughs> in <laughs> at the deep end. Yeah, in at the deep end. <laughs> and I gave the lecture and I said, any questions at the end with a few slides? And, um, and they said, no, there are no questions. And then they said, uh, one chap said, gosh, you know so much about this. Uh, how many years have you been there? <laughs> I said, oh... <laughs> Three months, <laughs> so it's quite quite funny. Well, very impressive. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Now, um, awards. You've actually in two thousand and eighteen, you were given one of the highest accolades of being awarded the Q Guild Medal. Yes, I, I, that that was uh, certainly one of my highlights in my career. Um, so, how does that happen? How does that come about? Do I, you do you put yourself forward, or does someone? No, come and... no, somebody speaks to you yeah you know from the q guild and and i think i think it was sort of given to me one for my work here but also having worked abroad like in bermuda and other countries so mm, mm. so um and africa and jordan and things like that i've even done work in france and stuff so so i think it was slightly for all around but also my work at arundel castle so um yeah i had an amazing time so he went up and got presented with the medal and uh, and who presents you with the medal uh well, whoever's the uh chair, chairman at the time okay. so that w would have been jean griffin i don't know if you know her the name's very yeah familiar. no yeah. She, she's a fabulous horticulturalist yeah. and and stalwart in wow in lots of the sort of east of england i, I used to do the odd um gardener question time at the east of england show and things like yeah, that yeah. but um no some wonderful people you know we had the chap from the the world garden oh um tom hart tom hart and he gave the most you know what he's like yes fabulous speech and yeah so hilarious yeah he's so, a lovely guy and a, and a lovely garden as well oh stunning and, yeah and um you know any extra plants we've got here and if we've got something rather quirky, we yeah, always, yeah. always phone them up and say, would you like? <laughs> because that's uh, a lovely way sort of like for, for gardeners to build this network um, and for you, be, for you to be able to help Tom. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just a wonderful thing, isn't it? You know, and vice versa. I mean, I, I think that's that's the thing with gardeners as a whole is is to be sort of open. I, I find it's so good to be open with your ideas as well. Mm. 
Um, and uh, yeah, Tom's a real character. Yeah, he really yeah. is. <laughs> now, picking up on ideas, mm. we're sat in your office, the yep. head gardener's office at Arundel here. Yep. And behind you, there are these fantastic illustrations, designs, garden designs, construction drawings. Mm. Now, I know landscape design is something that's particularly um, close to you, very important to you. I'm absolutely passionate about it. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons I went to Bermuda was... Um, They'd had Hurricane Fabian, which had absolutely decimated the island. Mm. Uh, I think quite a few people actually died from that particular hurricane. So, again, when I got there, I could give them some sketches. So we redid the butterfly garden. Um, we, we did uh, the sensory garden, redid that. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I redid government house gardens quite a lot. And I used to take a, a group of students. I had a, a student group um, and we'd go up and do the gardens there. Um, and so I think if you can design it, it, and also it's a passion of mine because I love to change gardens. Yeah. Um, hopefully for the better. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think a garden which stops in time and I'm not saying there shouldn't be gardens with stop in time, but I think parts of gardens must always progress. Evolve, yeah. Because yeah. the Victorians would have hated seeing things stopping. Mm. So, you know, I think it, it's... Um, I love to look at a garden, and normally, in my mind anyway, I've already got ideas flashing, flashing. And normally I go home at night and I sort of, for an hour or two, I'll have ideas. yeah. And then it's sorting out what are good ideas and what, what maybe are too far. Well, looking at the pictures, the images yeah. behind you, because uh, one of the questions I was going to ask was, when you came here, the Duke and Duchess of Norfolk obviously were looking for you to change the garden. And I wondered how you did that. But I can yeah. see you're able to be able to put in front of them this very detailed picture of how you see a part of the garden. Uh, yeah. Well, well what's interesting... Um, Again, when when uh, I came here, um, Julian Isabel Bannerman had done the Earl's Garden, which was the car park side of the garden. Mm. Um, so again, when you put the initial thing of a of a design in, um, you can always enhance it afterwards. Yeah, uh, whether it's with soft plantings or the addition of a few uh, attractive things and then um it was it was great because i saw another area here which was just a flat lawn mm. um and uh, the first few years we put in wildflowers just uh, annual wildflowers yeah and then i approached her grace and said i believe a stumpery is this is ideal yeah um but i did a butterfly garden in bermuda using uh old cedar wood facing the right way up Okay. Where here the stumpery's obviously reversed. Upside down. Upside down. But you know, we've got the 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 states here, the foresters were fantastic. They uh collected me yew, sweet chestnut and oak, which are all hardwoods. Mm. And then from those I selected each one and we took took them through and created a stumpery which um is incredibly popular. But it's yeah. it's different to other stumperies. It's more in the sunlight. And we grow, it's more of a botanical stumpery. So we just have everything from tricitrus lilies to echiums to liquid amber trees to, to the tulips you'd find on a hillside in, in uh, Turkey. Yeah, yeah. Or, or Jordan, you know. Because I guess we're probably 
all familiar-ish with Prince Charles's Stumpery at Highgrove, uh, which is more shady hostas yeah. and ferns. Well, that that's more the contemporary. So you've got uh, Prince Charles's Bidolf Grange, uh, I believe, was the initial Stumpery, which is, again, more into trees and, and the shady areas. Mm, mm. And then um, at Prince Charles's, it, again, is more in a in a woodland setting. Uh, where ours is very much in a in more of a theatrical setting where we've got this amazing cathedral you've got a beautiful backdrop there well it's gothic it's yes and, and it's the best stumps just tear it off and then when i first came the hedges everywhere throughout the gardens here were all square mm. and so i cut into the hedging to create Aspires. I remember you saying this when yeah. I came last year. Yeah. <laughs> so now they reflect. Yeah. Um, so when you look across from different areas, you're looking at spires and hedging, spires of the cathedral. Yeah. And even cut out some Gothic windows. Um, so I think it's so important having that hard landscape or a soft landscape. But uh, what I mean is sort of um, your hedging or your shapes um, uh, to complement your soft plantings yeah so so it's it's sort of it's framed and when mm. we talk about borrowed landscape yeah i mean the castle itself doesn't get much better than that as a backdrop to your gardens here oh no i mean it's... that that's why like uh with the tulips um we doing at least over sixty thousand brand new tulips for this tulip festival mm. but there's still going to be at least forty thousand, which will come back from last year if not more um, and that's 100,000 tulips. tulips. For anybody who wants to do the matter, 100,000 yeah, 100, tulips. tulips. Uh, they don't all flower at the same time. But no. Sort of peak time is sort of, I, I always say, I think it'll be early this year, but around the 14th to 26th of April. Um, but we have, you know, over 130 different named tulips. Um, but I like to use the backdrop of the castle. So I've got things like Oxford and Red, Red Apple Dawn with Thalia White Narcissus up on the banks of the, the up leading to the banks of the castle. Yes, I remember that. Yes. Yeah. Stunning. And then, yeah. you know, through the landscape, we do Purple Dream and Camassias and uh, Thalia White Narcissus, Milner, you know, one of my yeah. favourite. Yeah. But so we've got such a, we can, we can play play with it and then angelique where the roses are and of course then that looks peony flowered but looks like a rose here yeah. before the roses come very artistic sort of like so you're very lucky and very well placed you've got the design side of things you've got that design perspective but you've also got the the flowers the colors uh, yeah. the flower shapes all going on well you you play with it so again in the rose garden when i came um there are no gothic archways mm. so now we put in gothic archways uh, which lead you through and of course the windows of the castle are gothic mm. and so yeah. it reflects and it really does show off the roses better yeah. because you you've sort of got but even the prospectus so where we've got obelisks i've added another four obelisks but they are actually shorter than the middle obelisks mm. Mm. so hopefully that gives you a feeling of distance yeah so it makes the garden look bigger that false perspective yeah 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 so, incredible no but it's fun <laughs> Talking about the Tulip Festival, mm -hmm. how long has that been going on? Is that something that you introduced here? Or I introduced, it no, it didn't, hadn't started when I came. I think there was probably about, uh, around about 3,000 tulips when I came. 
so yeah, no, I upped it in a huge way. So started in a smaller way, sort of 20,000, 30,000 a year um, over the last sort of seven years. Mm. Uh, but then in the last sort of four or five years, we've gone up to the sort of 60, 70, 80, 100,000 tulips, but also every year we're putting in other bulbs. So yeah. Thalia white narcissus, sailboat, um, Camassia, Lactinii, all, all these Cerulea uh, uh, and, uh, you know, we also crown imperials, oh, um, yeah. fritillary snakes heads. Um, you know, we've got amazing bulbs and alliums we've gone mad over. So again, we have about 35,000 alliums. A year. 35,000. Yeah. I'm thinking of the 400 I bought for my garden and now <laughs> feeling I need to walk away and start again. Well, one of my <laughs> favourite tips on alliums is uh, lavender. So I've got that in the bow tie beds. Yeah. And then I interplant those with Allium Christophii, which yes. is beautiful amethyst. Yeah. And that creates hot air balloons floating above the lavender. Oh. And then, of course, uh, the lavender when that slightly goes over but also the christophii go over you've got those wonderful seed heads mm. and of course they still look like these balloons they, over the top they, yeah um and you know i love love alliums mm. i think they're so classy but you've got things like purple rain and purple sensation we've got summer drummer which reaches uh, that's quite a tall one isn't it hugely tall <laughs> yeah and one of the latest sort of flowers in july yeah and it takes, you know, a good two or three years before you begin to get a really nice head. But the, the actual head, before it flowers, looks better than the flower. Yeah. Uh, you know. You've got a long period of interest then, haven't you? Because yeah. you've got that, that head yeah. coming up and then going into the flowering yeah. as well. And probably what I found, I've, what I, it's not rewilding, it's reflowering with wildflowers. Mm. So what I've done here is initially we got turf in. And then we interplant all the area um, with camassias, with narcissus, with tulips and different themes. And of course, what the beauty of that is, then the wildflowers come. So your wildflower area doesn't look something absolutely terrible mm. for a long period of time. Mm. You have that introduction of your spring flowers going even, even into end of May. And then you have this, this beautiful wildflowers and then what, what I've done is introduced lots of yellow rattle right, yes. in all the grass. Yeah. That reduces the vigour of the grass, the grass, feeds off it. Yeah. And then from there, uh, we then harvest the first areas, initial areas we did with the turf, which come out with abundance of wildflowers. And when we harvest that in September, October, we then take that to the areas we put the yellow rattle from yeah. previous years and just let it stew and then all the wildflower seeds drop off into that grassed area. And then every year they're getting into a wildflower. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so it's quite a natural process. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the reward is you're not having to mow incessantly everywhere. Yeah. And you've just got this, this uh, beautiful sort of wildflower area, which all the insects love and the birds love and, you know. Talking about that, biodiversity, sustainability, climate change, how important is that in the work that you do and how aware of you that you need to try and look to support those? It's, it's so important. Uh, we really have gone very much over to a lot of organic compost. Yeah. Um, but also we've got beehives now. Mm. Um, and, and I mean, we sold all our honey 
we got our first 180 um, jars of honey and they sold like hotcakes. So this year we're probably going to get about 500 jars of honey. So um, it's great because we've got pollinators for our garden. Yeah. They're supplying us with money to, to you know, so I think it, and then to stop mowing incessantly and have wild flower areas and, mm, you know, mm. they can look even much prettier than grass. Well, um, grass is green. Yeah. Um, I don't get me wrong, I, I like my grass. Yes, but yeah. when you see a be- bejeweled yeah. wildflower meadow, it's just it's, stunning, it's, isn't it? It's stunning. And, and, you know, it's quite funny. I did a design for someone years ago in Ireland and they had a beautiful farmhouse on a hill and all we did was wildflowers and you had a mown area which went to three different circles where they could sit out at the summer. And it was a picture. Yeah. You're clearly passionate about your plants. Yeah. In your job as head gardener, uh-huh. how much time do you actually get out to do the gardening and how much is office work, health and safety, plant passports, admin? Yeah, I'm I'm quite hands-on. So when it comes to placing a lot of the tulips and everything, I might be placing some other people are planting, but I'll right. also get the planting uh pogo stick i call them and get on as well yeah um i tie in the big pergola we've got and um so i always get stuck in because mm. i normally take which is probably not the best thing but i take my paperwork home with me so the office oh. you're in here yeah. <laughs> so the office here really i'm not in it as you can tell there's no heater in this office no <laughs> um so you know, my staff might be out there with heaters there, but I, I tend not to be too much in an office. Um, I, I've always had the great belief, including in design, once you've done a drawing, you need to implement it. Right, yeah. Uh, if you're a designer and you just leave people with a, a drawing, it's not going to be as you want, want it or sh- it should be. So mm. I do find, although obviously people have to do designs, but I find it quite difficult to be taken away yeah from yeah. from actually looking at it it's it's like we're doing it they're putting lots of uh taxes piccata balls okay but what i'll do is place those for first mm. before i'll ask people to plant it right um and i enjoy i enjoy gardening it's it's just something with nature you know you might be digging over a bed, planting bulbs. You've got the robin hopping alongside waiting yeah. for its worm. Um, uh, but also, I think if you on-site looking, you notice more. So I know we've got gators here. Quite often I'll walk a site right. regularly. Yeah. And then I notice more. But we're putting in new roses this year. Um, Izzy in the kitchen garden has been doing the ra- new raspberry canes. Um, so when we do, we've got the... English School of Gardening, uh, yes. Ch- Chelsea Physics. So yes, yeah, yeah. They come for uh, three years, uh, three three years. Sorry, <laughs> um, not three yet. Three times a year. Yeah, they come on site and we do a practical uh, lesson with them. Wow. So I've got some roses for them to plant. Uh, we're going to go to the pollinating garden we did for the the town, mm. um, and we're going to plant some lavenders in there for the bees. Um, so uh, we'll prune the uh, Polonia tomentosum, the foxglove tree, yeah. um, and things like that. So they they'll always, when they come here, they always say, "Oh, 
we've done quite a lot. And I always yeah. think, yes, yes because you... that's the way to learn. Now, talking about training and development, you yeah. have how many gardeners do you have working for you? Um, I've got a team of uh, seven. Okay. Um, and I've got some really good. So there's eight of us in all. Yeah. And then I deal with contractors um, who'll do the very steep banks and tree work. Mm. And uh, like the boathouse you see here and that I'll, I'll, uh, I've got a very good fencer, um, Kevin, who's magic with wood. So I'll get him <laughs> to build things like that. Yeah. So when it comes to the development of mm. your gardeners, tell me how that works. Because I know from the conversation we we're having just before we started recording, that's something that's really important to you, isn't it? Development of oh, your totally. team. Totally. Um, I've got one member of staff who um, cross-trained from being a nurse. Um, and she started as volunteer and thought I clearly could see she enjoyed gardening. Mm. Um, and we employed her, and now she's just doing her RHS3. She's actually sitting the exam today, I think. Oh, goodness <laughs> me, yeah. Um, and then uh, we've got Rose uh, Philpot, great yes. name for being a gardener. <laughs> Perfect. <Yep. laughs> and she started when she was 16 here from school, uh, and then during holidays she came in because she enjoyed it so much, so... Now, that's really, for me, something I'm really keen. How do we attract the younger generation into horticulture? Yeah. So has that, do you find it difficult to get youngsters to come into the business? Um, I think it is. Uh, but but um, again, you find people. I've had two brilliant French students uh, who came and actually stayed pre-pandemic at my house and, you know, joined in with our family mm. um I, I shouldn't really say it the one french lady i thought had terribly smelly socks right what i hadn't realized is she had brought loads of french cheese over with her <laughs> 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 and the other funny thing is um when we picked her up and took her to the cricket yeah um when my son was playing um for half an hour we were having a picnic and then she said what are all these men in white clothing standing around for <laughs> so, so i've had great experiences i mean but no they're, they're they're and they were very passionate um and you know again rose is passionate so so there are definitely youngsters out there yeah um how do you think we we find these because as you say there are passionate yeah. people out there from the younger generation but how do we find them and how do we invite <laughs> them in well because um, sometimes it's not always seen as the most sexy attractive job once yeah. you're in it you know it is, it is. but it's yeah. like for the youngsters i think i think the the problem is is um we've probably got to speak to a lot of schools because even rose would probably tell you that uh, when they heard she wanted to do gardening because she had done well in her GCSEs, mm. um, they're a bit shocked. Yeah. But I actually had this um, with another uh, girl who started with me at Audley End. Mm. Uh, and she, she was a fantastic gardener. And um, again, she had done very well at her GCSEs. And all she wanted to do was garden. But her teachers are like, what do you want to do that for? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's sort of trying to break this mold because... As you well know, uh, um, gardeners with any who progress, you know, really have to know an awful lot. It's not, it's not. Uh... Well, you have definitely <laughs> showcased that here this morning, definitely. Yeah. yeah, it's not just getting out there and pushing a lawnmower. But, 
No, no. I mean, uh, I went to France uh, to advise a duchess there. I'll tell you a funny story, shall I? Yeah, do. So I was at Audley End and uh, the Duchess of Magenta. What a beautiful name. Isn't it? Yeah. So she came over to... um, over to Audley End uh, with a French gardener who only spoke French. Uh, anyway, we went around the gardens and I was telling her about different things I was doing there. And um, anyway, as we were going along, we'd put loads of human hair. I'd got one of my senior gardeners to go and get hair from the hairdresser right. and sprinkle it all around because it was supposed to stop monk jack, okay. the dare, from eating all your tulips and things, okay. which, which they were doing. Yeah. It didn't work, but anyway, <laughs> we tried. We even tried a radio, and no. we reckoned that the monk jack started dancing in the evening. <laughs> um, so anyway, walking along with the Duchess, and the French gardener saw a wadge of hair, picked it up in her hand, and said in French to the Duchess, what is this? <laughs> I replied to the Duchess, that is actually human hair. <laughs> this French uh, gardener, Went disgust, threw it away and said disgusting English. <laughs> but anyway, even so, I got invited then to go to go over to France to a chateau, Chateau Sully, beautiful chateau, amazing mm. place in Burgundy. And uh, we had a fantastic, my wife got put up with my mother and uh, our son, who was only about four. And I worked like blazers in their potage or their kitchen garden. Yeah. And gave her lots of ideas. And one of the ideas was putting vineyards outside the chateau. So when people drove up, they'd buy the burgundy white wine. Uh, and I was told, well, actually, the altitude's wrong. And I said, it doesn't matter. It's the perception. And it'll make the outside of the chateau look amazing. Uh, anyway, I got given uh, three cases of burgundy white wine were sent to me when we returned back to England. Very um, nice. Very, very nice, but I'm a heathen on wine. I was until then, and of course I gave this wine to anybody we went and had dinner with. Right. And we got these letters, long letters back, thanking us so much for this lovely wine. And if you think this was 22 years ago, yeah. uh, then we are told this wine, we had two bottles left, and the wine apparently was valued at about £86 a bottle. Oh, goodness It probably me. be about £150 now. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, no wonder we got the letters back. You don't see many of those at the supermarket on the shelves. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Not where I go anyway. But, um, yeah, no, so, so um, but horticulture, it's, it's, you know, you can travel the world or you can stay in one place and you never stop learning. I, I haven't stopped learning. It's, it's, yeah. There's something new all the time. Your passion is very evident. Is there a favourite part of the job? Is there a part of your job that you just love? I'd have to say the design element. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's because uh, I love the the change. And it's a challenge. Mm. Because yeah. it's all very well. You do a drawing, but then you're committing yourself. and And then you have to really think, okay, I've done this drawing. Now I've got to implement it mm. so we had great fun down at the um, stew ponds now the water gardens uh, designing it with the historic reference to stew ponds because you don't want to break the historic fabric but you yeah. want to add atmosphere so yeah, yeah. you know and then getting the right person to build it um, making sure you've got uh, non-slip walkways going across 
Um, so a lot of health and safety of aspects. Of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, we had adding a, a dipping pond, which is a natural pond because they're natural springs. So that's all fresh water. Right. And below is brackish water because of the River Arran. It's okay, tidal. right, yeah. Um, but, you know, what, what then is rewarding, we put in 1,800 water plants, uh, is to see those develop mm. and then to see all the bird life. We've had kingfishers, we've had family of swans and they fly to me when they kept fed and oh goodness me uh we've just just for the last three months we've had um uh the brown tufted ducks but we've got coots more hens yeah. all the usual yeah. mallards but uh, we've got mandarin ducks there as well <laughs> so so you know to see all all of this and then we've added wildflowers so you know it's just just rewarding do you have your own garden i do yeah and how much time do you have for your own garden? I don't spend a huge amount of time. My my wife's not a gardener at all, but but <laughs> I I yeah no I like my garden. So we yeah. we have a nice garden. We can sit out, and I I've planted some uh, grape vines, and we get abundance of grapes. And um, and uh, now my son's uh, he went to Warwick and got his degree. Uh, history and politics now he's actually in a portuguese um near lisbon and he he's doing um totally different he's doing his masters in um uh, business management uh so now he's away from home i haven't got a football flying around <laughs> <laughs> or tennis tennis ball so yeah yeah the, uh, the gardener's friend or not yeah exactly yeah Martin, thank you so much for having a chat with me. It's been so enlightening. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. Is there any chance we can go out and have a chat to Rose? Because I'd love to chat to her and find out what she enjoys about working in this beautiful garden and alongside yourself. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think she'll be delighted. Yeah, thank you so much. No, pleasure. Right, I'm here in the vinery, this beautiful glass house, with a young gardener called Rose Philpot. Now, there's the perfect name for a gardener, if ever there was one. Thank you for having a chat with me, Rose. Now tell me, how long have you been at Arundel? Uh, so I've been at Arundel since 2016. Um, I started on my work experience week. I was in sixth form college, didn't know what I wanted to do. It came up as a choice and I went, right, that seems like fun for a week. Went and did it, fell in love with it. Um, came back during the summer um, and then decided that I wanted to go off and do horticulture as a career. So went and did my course at Plumpton College. And then at the end of my course, um, Martin offered me a full-time job. So if that hadn't have come up as an option for you, would it have been something that would have been on your radar? Would you think, in all, I might like gardening? I've always enjoyed gardening, but it would never have been on my radar to do it as a career. I probably would have just done it, you know, as like a hobby and stuff like that. Um, but I didn't actually think I could make a career out of it. So you've been here now for about six, seven years? What do we say? We're both counting on our fingers now because we're not good at maths, either of us. Yeah, about, I think it's about six years about now, six. so... So did you then go to your school and say, I'm going to be a gardener? I did, and I didn't get a very good response. In fact, the lady who I first spoke to said, why would you want to do that? You're such a bright girl. Now, that's really disappointing because as gardeners, and I'm a passionate gardener, we all know the joy of being out and gardening. How do we change that perception? How do we get people of your generation? Because 
Am I, do you think I'm right in saying that most people of your generation don't see gardening as a sexy, appealing job? No, they don't. Um, I think what needs to be understood is that actually you do need to be able to um, understand a lot. There is a lot behind it. It's not just going over there and pulling out a whole load of weeds or, you know, mucking the grounds or whatever. You need to understand the science behind the plants and, you know, the diseases and the way plants, all they need all the different conditions and things like that. So you do actually have to have quite a good knowledge. So it's not just something that people get put off by because they assume you just don't need to know a lot basically yeah i think there's a lot of people who maybe think you just go out there pull some weeds and push a lawnmower around and that's gardening and it's as you've just said so eloquently it's so much more than that isn't it so tell me what qualifications have you got under your belt so far um so i've got the level three um extended diploma in horticulture um that's a city and guilds level and i went and did that at plumpton um but that's all i've got at the moment and then i've just got the experience obviously that i've had from here so i am going to look into hopefully going off and maybe learning some more little extra courses um. What's your favourite part of the job? I mean, we're in this beautiful glass house, which there's pelagoniums, there's aeoniums. What do you enjoy most about working here at Arundel? That's really difficult because I enjoy a lot of my job. Um, I really like the propagating um, and I like watching something that you have planted or you've cared for just grow and then become something so beautiful that somebody comes in and goes, wow, look at that, isn't that amazing? And that just fills me with such happiness that someone else is enjoying it. So have you learnt propagating here with Martin? I did. I learnt it here with Martin and um, Izzy did a lot with me and she helped me with that. I obviously learnt it at college as well, mm. but being here was a lot... Um, you got a lot more experience in it. College, it was just, here's the basics kind of thing, show you once or twice, but here I really got to have a go and keep having a go and watching it all work and, yes, yeah, survive. So I've got to ask the flip side. Is there anything here that you're not so keen on doing as part of your job? <laughs> there are things that sometimes I think... I do find that I don't enjoy, but when I think about it, really, it's like the things that, you know, most people are like, oh, it's really rainy. Do I really want to go outside and rake up the garden? Not really. But, you know, it's something you just put all your waterproofs on and go. So other than that, no, it's, you know, it's a lovely job. It is, isn't it? And of course, we're all a little bit biased, but it's just lovely to let people know that it's a job for everybody. It's not just for sort of people over a certain age. Now then, where do you see yourself going with this? What would you maybe like to see yourself doing in maybe five or ten years' time? I think, I haven't really made up my mind on that. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I think I would like to get a lot more experience. Um, And then I would quite like to have, you know, a section of my own garden, maybe go somewhere else. And like, um, for example, Izzy, who's got the kitchen garden, maybe have like a whole section that I look after myself and do stuff like that. Um, Maybe work my way up to head gardener one day. I'm not entirely sure. I haven't quite figured it out yet so yeah because there's a lot of things out there within horticulture that you can do but you're in the perfect place here working with martin who's such an experienced head gardener so passionate about his plants and about design and so what about the design side of things does that is that something that appeals to you at all um the design side does appeal to me um i did do it at college obviously as part of the course and Mm. it does um and I think, yes, you've got to, to be able to do a really good design, you've got to be able to understand the workings of everything because you could say, oh, yeah, I can just go in and design it. But if you don't know, you know, how the soil is and how that plant's going to work in a certain area, you can't really design anything that is really good. So I think, yeah, that might be something I might consider in the future. I All sorts of choices. Who knows? And what about, well, I mean, we're February. It's not a bad day today, but what about those really cold, icy days? How do you find that? 
I mean, I do find the cold, icy days quite difficult. Um, sometimes I get laughed at because I have so many layers on, I can barely move. Um, but, you know, it's fine. And we've got these glass houses to come into and warm up and stuff like that. Um, so it's not, it's not too terrible. But if you keep moving, you should be fine. <laughs> I'm now in the organic kitchen garden with senior garden Izzy McKinley. Izzy, thank you for inviting me along today. What a gorgeous space this is. How long have you been here? Uh, I've been here in uh, 20 years come June, so it's been lovely just to watch the, the garden develop from a very young, young early stage. And this is your baby, isn't it? You've been responsible for this part of the garden for, for all of that time? Yes, I came here uh, to, to take on the, the veggie garden uh, and, uh, and I do all the propagation and seed sowing and, and softwood cuttings as well. So it's a lovely, varied, um, it's creative, nurturing job. I love it. <laughs> so what were you doing before you came here? Were you in gardening and horticulture before you came to Arundel? Yes, yes, I was a propagator on a, on a private estate up in Buckinghamshire, uh, Lord Rothschild's estate at Ethrop, and I'd been there for five years. And I trained with the National Trust up at Powys Castle before that, so it's it's always been a passion. It's Thirty years this year since 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 going into horticulture. So, so what was it that attracted you to horticulture and gardening in the first place? Because I've just been saying to Rose, for the younger generation, it's not always seen as being quite the sexy, attractive job. So, what attracted you to it? I think. Uh, a very strong upbringing and being surrounded by people interested in in plants and horticulture my uh, my family my grandparents uh, my piano teacher he he took me to trinity college gardens when i was about 5 with my mum and we went to chelsea flower show all these things they really helped to build up that sort of interest and and being a sort of quiet sensitive child i i tended to to err towards being out in nature rather than running around being noisy and <laughs> And standing here now, we've got a bit of sunshine. It's just beautiful, sort of like that February sunshine. You can see things are starting to grow away. There's signs of life all around the garden. But you like propagation as well, don't you? That's a big part of your job. Very much so, yes. It's, it's lovely to, to take cuttings in the autumn and then to watch, watch your, your garden sort of burgeoning within a greenhouse for the next year. It's, it's wonderful and creative and and to sit with a handful of seeds and to look at that and to know that that's that's a whole garden full of flowers it's it's exciting and and you never stop being sort of awestruck by it really it's a lovely thing <laughs> so talking about seeds it's that time of year it's a sunny day in february when do you start sowing seeds here because we all get itchy fingers as we were just saying when do you start sowing seeds here that's right it does today it's sort of giving you that false idea isn't it i generally don't put anything directly into the soil until you see a really good crop of weed seedlings germinate that's that's quite a good indicator um we're lucky to have a heated greenhouse which which means i can start the chilies and things like the tomatoes off now mm. but that's because we've got the luxury of growing them on inside so if you if you've got a windowsill you can do basil and things like that now but but hold back on the the outdoor things you, you'd probably be okay now with broad beans they can go in now but but watch out for that inevitable cold march <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's that that catches us you think sort of like oh we're heading on into the year now we're very beginning of the year and then say february march can sometimes have a bit of a nip in the backside and uh, yeah. yeah all those early sowings can get clobbered so where are we now now we've got this beautiful archway over us tell us about this this is uh, this is an archway of espalier trained apple trees they're they're all mentioned in the archives so when they were put in in the uh, the late 90s 
Um, they were they were researched from from archives, and we've got all these lovely old varieties that you you probably wouldn't be able to to buy apples from in the shops. So they they're trained over an arch, and they're pruned twice a year. Um, this time of the year, you you prune to a bud to encourage growth. So anything that's going away that we don't want it to go, just to keep that lovely arch shape, mm. that's that's cut back to that. And in the summer. They're pruned again just to just to put all the goodness from those great long water shoots back into the fruit. So it's it's yes, it's lovely. When it met over the top, we had a little party. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a work of art. Even now in in the sunshine, it's just structurally it's just a, a thing of beauty, isn't it? Yeah, it's almost like um, deer antlers, uh, stark against the sky. It's it's beautiful. I'll take a picture actually to put on the show notes because it is just lovely. Just and I think we all like the the flowers and the foliage, but winter also has its own beauty in the garden, and that's just so apparent here. So, what will you be growing in the garden this year? Well, I've got four main beds that I operate on a rotation system to to help because we're organic. I don't use pesticides, so mm. to get a good start, to get the soil right, is the most important thing. So. The bed that we've, is behind me this year I haven't manured and that's because it's going to have onions and carrots and things that would not enjoy a, a heavy manuring. Mm. So we've got garlic coming up there, that's about yeah. six inches up now. Um, it's going great guns. The bed this to this side has been heavily manured because that's going to have legumes in it. So um, right. peas and beans and things that like like to uh, like to really get their toes into some manure. So. We, we grow a bit of everything really. I've got some unusual salads because the chef likes uh, little fancy seedlings and, and things on, on the sides of plates. So we've got all kinds of interesting salad and brassicas, beautiful kales. That's a, an exquisite plant and looks at home in, a, in an ornamental garden. So. And what have you got going on in the glasshouse over there? <laughs> um, at the moment, uh, we've just started off sowing the chilies. So that end is the top end is propagation, so mm. it's kept nice and snug. This lower end is is a it's a tropical plantation, so it's full of things that people would see on holiday: banana, papaya. Um, what else we got in there? We have got a guava. Oh wow! And uh, and, and a few beautiful flowering clivias just to, to give it that little exotic edge. Now <laughs> I don't know a lot about clivias but they are beautiful plants. Mm. What colours have you got in there? The oranges, yellows yes, generally? Yeah we've got the orange one that's just come out into bloom the last couple of days and lutea which is a very strong grower so I've divided that a fair bit that's mm. yellow um, and that comes out a bit later on. They are exquisite. <laughs> so for you personally do you have your own garden? I've got um, a, an estate cottage and it backs into the woods so luckily I can manage what is my back garden as a, as a woodland for wildlife really so it's it's a clearing in the woods and, a, and it supports a huge number of birds and, and mammals so it's yeah not, not, a, not an immaculate one by any means I'm here so much <laughs> I haven't got the time or the energy when I get home. But. Well that's what I wonder and I was asking Martin whether he had his own garden because it's sort of like when you're working in such a beautiful garden all day long uh, do you then go home and start on your own garden or do you just go home and sit down and enjoy your garden? Um, I, I, I can't sit down in it without getting up and doing something it has to be yeah. said but, but you, I do go and sit and watch the birds sort of going in and out of the I mean, even the brambles, it supports a huge, huge amount of life. The brambles yeah. love going in and out of that. So I do. No, it's because it's so different. It doesn't actually feel um, feel like gardening in the evening. 
but no. yeah, it's yes, it's just just keeping on top of that woodland. Well, this garden is an absolute credit. It's beautiful. So if anybody hasn't been to Arundel, come to the lovely organic kitchen garden and come and say hello to Izzy. It's just stunning. Thanks ever so much. Yes, do do come and say hello. I'm I'm always here or or in the uh, tropical house. Well, it's been an absolute joy coming to Arundel Castle Gardens today and chatting to the fabulous head gardener, Martin Duncan. And thanks also to Izzy and to Rose for spending time chatting to me about their respective careers in this beautiful garden. Now, just before I left, I thought I'd have a quick wander around and I've come to this stumpery that Martin and I talked about earlier. Beautiful, gnarled, upturned stumps, interplanted with periwinkle, heart's tongue ferns, Corsican hellebores and surrounded by those beautiful yew crenellations that Martin talked about. Tree ferns wrapped up for winter still uh, but just a beautiful space. In fact just nestling under one of the stumps I can see a beautiful cluster of snowdrops. If you haven't been do come along and do look out for the Tulip Festival in the coming months and I will see you next week. Bye bye for now. Bye bye.